Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. You know, this morning we're, uh, we're in the third week of our community series, and I, and I couldn't help but God speaking to me this morning saying, you know, as we try to define community, as we try to put our finger on what it looks like, but I really believe this morning that he spoke to me, said a healthy church community is going to be full of the elderly, the adult, the youth, and the children. Full, not, not just where it's lopsided. I see a lot of churches that have that. It's just they're an older church and they can't get younger ones, or it's a younger church and they can't get older ones. But I believe that that healthy balance of a healthy church culture will have all of them. You know, we'll be meeting the needs of every person. And I ask that often. I say, hey, what do you need? What do you feel that we need to focus on as a church? Because I do not want to feel, I don't want any age group to feel insignificant. Now, do we have to continue to change and adapt a little bit? And all the older ones said, amen. Because we've gotten comfortable with the way we've done it because you guys have, have lived a legacy and, there, and there's this shifting of not necessarily changing all the ingredients, but changing the approach in how we're doing it. So as we talk about church community, you know, a healthy church community, we must each do our part to build community. Community will not just happen on its own. It's not just going to be something that we just passively sit there and we just see it happen. It requires each of us contributing and building to the big picture of what church community should be like. So there's two, two people, you know, usually in a church makeup. There's the ones that are the contributors, and there's those that are the consumers. So when I talk about a contributor, a contributor is one that says, how can I help? How can I serve? But a consumer says, hey, what is in it for me? Right? And we, and we, see, we see that balance. Now, there, there needs to be a balance of both, you know, right? But if we are just consumers, what do you think happens? There's nothing left. There's nothing to give. It just it's really, you know, it depletes the whole ecosystem of the church. So we have to have both, that healthy balance, right? So we have, to, we have to have that desire to serve others, but there's also times that we need, we need stuff too. We need to be poured into. We need to be brought life into us. You know, it says, it says those that walk together, it's good, because if they fall, the other one is alongside them to help them up. But, but the one who walks alone, pity the fool that does that, because no one is there to help him up. So we have to understand, in God's heart, it's all about community. It's all about relationship. It's all about walking together and living this life's journey together in community. And I believe that God has established His church for just that. You know, I know some of us are born into a you know, biological family that we're like, man, it's rough. You know, it, it's tough. It's challenging. But if we even look at our biological family, how many of you know even in that family we got issues? You're like... You're looking to your left, looking to your right, you don't want to say anything. In the church, we have issues also. It doesn't make us inhuman, but it makes us real and transparent. If we really live like God has designed us to live with transparency and openness and community, we're going to see each other's flaws. But the heartbeat of true community covers the flaws versus exposes them. We have to understand that. Just because you're flawed doesn't mean, hey, look at this guy over here. No, but let me, let's cover those things and uplift and support. Acts 20, 35, it says, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. This came right out of Jesus' mouth. You know, so as we build this church, this kind of church that pleases God, it is going to require us to give more so sometimes than receiving. 
But what if we all held back this morning? What if I said, you know what, I'm not going to preach. Good luck, guys. I just sat down and said, well, I thought that's what we came here for. Well, yeah, I wouldn't be contributing, would I? I said, well, somebody get up there and preach. And you'd be like, uh-oh, what are we going to do this morning? You know, right? So we are all contributing something. You know, I think the worship team this morning, they contributed to allow us to, be, to experience an awesome time of worship and praise. Their contribution blessed us all. Well, what if they all just sat down and said, ah, you lead us this morning. Well, wait a minute. That's not fair. I, I'm not a musician. So we have to understand that what we contribute is also tied to how God has created us by design specific to meet the needs and, and, and what the, that the body of Christ needs. The gifts that I have bless you, but the gifts that you have bless me. And as we use each of those, as God has given them to us, we see the whole church community thriving rather than dying. Because when we all hold on to that um, consumer mentality, we rob everybody of the blessing. Amen? So we build community. How do we build a church that pleases God? We do it by building community. So we're currently shifting how we do church a little bit in, in moving towards life groups. So just so you know, life groups will begin tomorrow. We have sign-up sheets in the back, but our heart behind all of that is to, to move the dynamic of church life into home life. So that means there's going to be kids present. There's going to be teenagers present. There's gonna, you know, it's not going to just be all about us. And I know some of you as parents, you're like, but I'm a parent all the time. But God has graced you with the gift to endure. We got to get, get comfortable learning to live like Christ even when our kids are around. And I know the struggle. Some of you are like, man, my kids are driving me nuts. I just need to get them away from me so I can get my Jesus time and then I'll be okay. I know the struggle, but can we do it in a way where our kids are still present, being exposed to the things of God, where we can still keep our sanity and focus on what God is doing? Can we do it collectively? Now, guys, this is going to be a challenge. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be great with our kids. We're going to love it. But potentially, it could really be worth it because our kids will begin to be exposed to things they need to be exposed to rather than sent off to another room and said, oh, mommy and daddy are going to have... Bible study time, but they begin to be a part and they begin to be saturated in that environment. And they learn this is what we do to survive in life, not just something adults do, but they become a part of that at a young age. So it's going to be challenging, but this is part of the dynamic. The, the family dynamic is full of adults, teens, children, and even babies being present. And we got to be okay with that. Like I said, a thriving church is going to have that makeup of all of them. So we got to have that flexibility. We got to have that grace, you know. To you know, if you got a mom with you in your group and she's just struggling, and you know, go hold the baby, feed the baby. You know, you, you moms are awesome at what you do. God has gifted you for a specific purpose. But we we allow grace both ways, right? And we're really going to see what all God wants it to be. So I know for me, I really, really enjoy spending time with people. You know. Um, you know, I desire for my children to be a part of this discipleship process. Now, I know that they're getting that in children's ministry. I know that, you know, recently all of the things have changed with the school district, right? Parents have had to be more involved, you know, by default. It wasn't a choice. It was something that had to change. But I believe that those moves are positive moves. We should be involved in the process of our children's learning and being educated. And, you know, I, I try to teach Samuel all the things he cannot learn at school. Said, hey, get that drill, get this over here, let's go fix this. We changed a little hinge on the van the other day, and I said, all right, take it off. So he unscrewed the first one, he started unscrewing the second one. 
Luckily, I was standing by the door because I didn't realize that hinge was holding the whole top part of the, the sliding door. So when he, when, he, when he got it loose, that whole drill, he almost dropped the drill, but I grabbed the door, and he goes, oh, that was close. I was like, yeah, we learned something, right? That was connected. I didn't know that, but we're learning together, right? I'm getting him involved in stuff that, you know, you're not going to learn that at school. You're not going to be exposed to just these life skills of just trying things and, and being involved. And that is the influence that we have, guys, of keeping our kids near to us. You know, Morgan shared something about, you know, the supernatural spiritual blessing that rests on our children. But there is also, you know, things that we can teach and instill in our children where they can supersede us very quickly. Because our children are at an age where they, they, they suck in everything, they learn everything, and they learn it really quickly. And when you get older, it gets a little harder to learn new things. Either the brain's not cooperating or we just don't feel like it. One of those two things begin to happen. But I know that, you know, we want our children involved in that process. You know, I know our kids are often excited about being together because they see it as hanging out with their friends. It's an exciting thing. How many of you have kids that they love spending time with other people? Well, us as, a, us as adults, we got to get to that same thing where we enjoy hanging out with other people. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a true believer of a Sunday nap. I try to get one every Sunday. But I think that there's that principle of, of where we need to, not just what we want, but what is best. You know, making it a priority to hang out with people, to spend time with people, because it just satisfies the soul. It's so exciting. We should take that from our children, that excitement of getting together, of drawing together with one another. So we should be equal, equally excited to get to hang out with our friends. Um, you know, my wife reached out with some of you a, a few weeks ago, seeing how was it going at home? You know, how was it going with your children? And we were super excited because most of you were already doing things with your children. You guys had started doing discipleship. You had started doing a Bible study, a certain prayer time. And you, you guys were focusing, being intentional. And we were so proud of that. You know, but as a family, because I believe that God was working something, uh, something out in amongst all this chaos that was beneficial to our lives. But I think there's also a response on our end to respond correctly. Okay, so I've often found that the biggest blessings that God has given each of us is not just our biological family, but our church family. You know, if I look at my close relationships, a lot of my very close relationships have always been in the church. And they've continued to be for years, even though I've moved or I've, you know, I feel like I can still call some of those people that I had that close relationship with. And they'd answer the phone and they would know who I was and they would say, hey, man, what can I do for you? It never got awkward. But we have to understand that God established the church just for me. Say that after me. Say, God established the church just for me. Now, you said that, but do you believe that? Because some of you are like, ah, it's, you're just, so I'm going to make you say it one more time. Because you have to realize that that is why God created. Let's say it one more time. God established the church just for me. Amen? You got to realize that. This is part of God's plan. Psalm 68, 6, it says, God sets the lonely in families and he leaves the prisoner with singing. God designed the family. It was his model. Now, I want to give you a, a quick uh, thing about talking about physical growth versus spiritual growth. Uh, man, I have been amazed at how tall Samuel has gotten, how he's growing. All of his pants are like this. I need to go shop. His legs, his legs are springing up. He's growing. His, he, I had to get him new shoes yesterday. And he's like, look, Dad, I got a bigger size. And I was like, slow down, son. You're growing too quick. But, so the natural growth progression is you know, to grow this way, not you know, 
<laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So, so when we look at it from infant stage to toddler to, you know, for, you know from you know, all of these teenagers to your adolescents to adults, you see this natural progression of that as, as children grow, what happens? They become less and less dependent on you or their parents and become more and more dependent of themselves. Now, if we take this mentality and we tra- transfer that into our spiritual thought process, we will fail. Because as children, we're growing. We're grow- How many of you said, and my kids say this all the time, hey, I can do it myself. Oh, no, no, Dad, I want to do it myself. I can do it. And it's like, you can. You're going to kill yourself. No, I can do it. doesn't matter what the risk is. They can do it because they're fighting for this independence. But when we reverse that process and we look at spiritual growth, the older we get and the more time we spend understanding who God is, the more dependent we have to become on God. So it's, it's kind of a reverse process. If we continue to say, Lord God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender my life to you. But then all of a sudden we say, oh, I got this, God. I can do it. I've done it before. I'll be okay. I don't need your help. Leave me alone. I can do it. And he scratched his head and said, you're going to kill yourself. Because he wants us to become what? More and more dependent on him. Rather than less and less dependent on him. But look at our lives. Have we done that in regards to God? Have we gotten comfortable relying on our own gifts, our own abilities? And we've made those accusations deep down. We said, God, we really don't need you. Or have we become mature in Christ and understanding that we need God more today than we ever have in our lives? So we realize, you know, that, you know, it's not how good or strong I am, but by the power of God working in me that I'm successful in things. We have to realize that. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how deep the love of Christ is, and to know that his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So in this message today, you're going to get a whole lot of nuggets. I know it's going to seem like I'm all over the place, but God really showed me a few things along this message that I really think that... If you don't get anything out of this message, you missed it, because I believe that there's something for everybody. So, you know, focusing on today's topic, it's the, the title is going to be, Will You Come Over? And you're like, what does that mean? What does that even have to do with anything? We're going to get there. But I think as we look at this, you know, that we pray that you would be rooted and established in love, you'd, you'd grow spiritually, that you'd understand that the system of the church is by God's design, but it says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And as I was preparing this message, God gave me this illustration. He, I thought about it. So in our life, if we look at our life, it is full with so many things, right? You know, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's, maybe it's lust. You guys are like, oh, man, you got real. Okay, don't do that. You know, I don't, you're getting in my space now. But let's, let's think about it. You know, if God would really look into the windows of our heart and see all these things, lust for money, women, whatever, whatever it may be, the, the highest paying job, whatever it is, spirit of lust, right? You know, then sadness. Maybe some of you put on a smile, but you're really dealing with things in your life where you're just, you're just sad. You're broken. You're hurting, right? Maybe addictions in your life. You, you expose yourself to maybe some things of the past, and those things keep knocking at your life. They keep coming back, and they affect you, and your life is full of all of these things. You know, fear. If you haven't been exposed to some kind of fear this year, man, then you are solid, Right? Think about it, like if, we, if we've survived it to this point and there's been no fear, then we're good. But I believe that there's been moments in time that you have had to deal with fear. But if fear continues to remain in your life and is not removed, it will continually affect you. I got a whole lot of them. Rebellion. 
Some of you are like, well, I was like that when I was little, but maybe you're still like that today and God needs to deal with that. Mama didn't beat it out of you enough. How about jealousy? You know, when somebody gets a nice new truck or a boat or whatever, are you jealous about it or are you happy for them? What's your motives? Well, God, how come he gets stuff like that and I don't get it? You got to deal with that. That's in your life, right? Pain. Pain is a real thing, guys. When we suffer loss and we live in this world, pain is going to happen. So our life can be filled with those things. Greed, you know, money related and power, whatever it is. How about shame? It's a big one. Not necessarily have we done bad things, but we remember bad things that we've done. And shame is something that continually is involved in our life, and we are filled with that, and we don't know how to get rid of that. How about confusion? If you've got everything figured out, what's going on in the world right now, hey, enlighten me. So there is definitely opportunity for confusion, but we have to understand what is the root of the enemy to kill, steal, and destroy, and he is the author of what? Confusion. So we, if we allow the spirit of, of, of the enemy to, to be involved in our lives, we will be full of that. How about sickness? If you haven't dealt with sickness in your body at some point, you probably will. So, I mean, I think there's times that we say, God, what are you doing? I have sickness in my body. You know, what do we do with that? So all of these things are real. Now, I can keep going. I can keep going. And we can see that our life is full of so many things that really fill our life up to where there's room for nothing left. And as I was looking at this scripture, the most powerful thing is that it says what? It says that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So when your life is full of God... There's not room for all of these things here. But we have packed our lives with this, maybe, you know, just by birth. Maybe it's things we've opened ourselves up to, but our life is full of these things. So as we look at our life and we say, God, I need your fullness to come into my life. Well, the fullness of God begins to come into your life and it removes everything else. So we begin to say, Lord, I ask for your fullness in my life. And some of us just settle for a little bit. And as that fullness goes in, we begin to see everything begin to come to the surface, and things have to come out because as the fullness of God comes in, those things can't remain in our lives. Now, some of us stop right there, and we never get to the root things of the things that are ugly, and we think just because we've gotten to the point where some of the ugliness has come out, we settle because we have not come to the place of fullness. But if I continue to allow the fullness of God to overwhelm every area of my life, there'll be room for nothing less left except the fullness of God. Some of you got to get this this morning because you're dealing with things. I don't know if I got enough water to keep going. But it begins to purge everything. And Jimmy Don, I'm out of water. So we're going to stop there. (laughs) Now, I think sometimes also this right here. I'm going to take this illustration another way because I ran out of water, Bob. Sometimes lukewarmness looks like this. Got a little bit of Jesus, but we got a little bit of the world in us. And we're okay with that, but Jesus is not. Because said, my blood on that cross was to remove all of these, and I don't want any of those affecting the rest of your life. I want you to be full with the fullness of God in your life. Now, as I said one of these this morning, maybe one of these said, God, begin to allow your fullness to come into my life and remove that. Well, let me tell you, my supply ran out, but God's doesn't. He will begin to remove all of these things where all you see is pure, clean water. Now, there may be a little bit of grit, a little bit of things in there, but your life will no longer look like what it used to. Amen? Man, I could have just preached on that, but let me keep going. 
So when we walk in the fullness of God, we all come together and we see a church that begins to look like God. We're talking about community, right? So if my life begins to be purged of all of this filth and ugliness, I begin to walk and look like Christ. But what happens when I start doing that and you start doing that and then we all begin to be reflections of Christ? Well, now because we are all reflections of Christ, now the church begins to look like Christ. I don't know if you guys have ever looked at the statistics of the church versus the culture. We're not doing any better. When you look at statistics, there's just as much ugliness in the church as there is in the world. But I'm hoping that as the church, you realize this illustration. And you'll say, well, I'm just a sinner. Oh, no, you're so much more than that. As a child of God, God is asking you to be pure and holy and right before him. we got to allow him to do his work and clean us. So togetherness with love for one another is the key to a healthy church community. John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you are mine if you love one another. Now, unity and love for each other is a sign of a healthy church community. So I'm trying to break this down for you guys. Unity and love for others is a sign of a healthy church community. But what about discord and hate? That would be signs of an unhealthy church community. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I don't hate this person. I just don't like them very much. Man, that's got to change, guys. Ask God for grace. Ask God for compassion that we might love one another genuinely. Right? That our our mouths are saying one thing, but our heart is, is divided. That we would really have love and compassion for others. Because this is the type of church that God desires. So when the church is united with each other, that's where God commands his blessing. Psalms 133. When we come together in unity and we're connected and we're joined together, that is where God begins to move mightily. And it says it's like the oil that, that runs down and it begins to saturate everything. His goodness is an abundance overflow of who God is in our lives. But we have to be united. We have to settle our differences. So we must all... Uh, practically, you know, we almost participate and fight for the unity of the church. We have to begin to build bridges rather than burning bridges. We have to offer forgiveness and reconciliation rather than just saying, ah, I'm just going to let it go, and then you bring it up later. How do you know you still got issues with somebody? When somebody, you know, offends you once and you're like, ah, just get over it, and the moment they offend you again, it goes back to the original root of what first offended you. Well, I remember that time in 1942 when you did, come on, can't even remember what, you know, like when you, when you truly forgive, you don't remember those things. You got to kind of go back and say, well, what happened there? I don't remember. But when you hold a grudge, you never forget. You continue to tally it. You keep, you keep score is what I call it. Say, oh, Trey, uh-huh, I got you, buddy. I remember that time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then he does something that offends me. Say, oh, well, yeah, I got another one now. Continue to keep score and you, and you have offenses rather than fighting for reconciliation and peace. Because as the church, we should be people of reconciliation and forgiveness. We shouldn't be walking in offense. The world is full of that. Don't believe me. Turn on the news. Let's look at Matthew 5, 38 through 48. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. So we Matthew 38 through 48. I'm going I'm to read through these. So 
you know, these topics are an eye for an eye, you know, loving your enemies, all of these things. I really believe I'm just going to let the scripture read, you know, uh, communicate this for me. In verse 38 of chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, leave him also your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. Verse 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that they may may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors or those sinful people, those who are doing evil, don't even they do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do you not do not even the pagans do that? But be perfect, therefore your heavenly Father is perfect. So we have to understand that in these scriptures, God always points it back, and Jesus always points it back to his standard, not the world's standard. And he holds a high standard. But if we look at, at this, you know, um, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you know, the, 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 sta- the state of our country right now is in an uproar. There is so much anger and rage and hurt, and people do not know how to respond. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm trying to be real careful what to say and what not to say because, you know, I think in a certain sense, some of the response is in complete ignorance. Like, what are you doing? When is it okay to act like that? Even a heathen should know better. And you hear me say, you know, so much more the church. So I cannot hold them accountable for how they respond. But I can hold you as a believer of Christ accountable to God's standard. To say, how are you responding? Oh, well, they did that. Well, I'm going to do this. Well, they hit me on my cheek, so I'm going to. And you ball your fist up, and you're ready for war. But what does Jesus say? He says, let them hit the other cheek also. Now, I know where I've drawn the line. I said, well, Lord, you only gave me two cheeks unless you're talking about my backside ones. Because after four... (laughs) I will defend myself. You know, take it out of context, right? You know, but you think about it, like, how much is enough, Lord? I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. I, enough is enough. And I want to speak out. And do I get frustrated? Do I get irritated? Do I say a lot of things in my office to my four walls? Yes. But I try to do it in a way that honors God and loves people and seeks to forgive. And then I begin to pray for those who, who do not know the truth that I have that God would begin to come and that he would intervene in their life and begin to shift their perspective. Unless God redeems the country, it will it'll utterly fail. You realize that? There's nothing we can do, even the ones that I have put my trust in. Scratching my head and saying, oh, Lord, what are you doing? We see it all around us. We see this love and hate, but it says to love your enemies. It says, pray for those who persecute you. This is completely goes against all the nature of what's going on in our country. But I believe if we get back to biblical principles and we begin to model these things that Jesus has already put in his word for us, we'd be in pretty good shape. But there has to be a shifting. There has to be a changing. There has to be a turning. Creating community is, not a, is an active, not a passive thing. Are you doing your part? You know, I think that's the question we have to ask for each of ourselves because I may be standing, I may be, you'd be doing my part, but if you're not doing your part, you know, you got to deal with that between you and God. Maybe God has asked you to do something that you haven't done. 
Well, God's not just going to go away and leave you alone. <laughs> he's going to continue saying, all right, hey, about the, how about that? And then you're going to be praying about something totally different. And he's going to bring it up and say, hey, well, what about that thing over there I asked you to do? Or God is always going to go back to what he said. He never speaks just flawless words. He's always intentional with what he speaks to you, but he expects rapid obedience. He expects you to move when he says move. He expects you to stop when he says stop. He, he wants you to be silent when he says to be silent. He hasn't, he hasn't allowed us our perception, like for us to choose. Well, God, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'll do that. That's good. No, he wants us to, you know, unwaverly always respond in a biblical, accurate way. So how do we get better at building community? So this morning, I really want to give us some practical things, but one of the things that I've been noticing in the church, and I just laugh about it, I'm going to call this the awkward invite. This is my title. And I, I see it happen all the time in church. It goes like this. Hey, man, what you doing today? Well, you know, I was planning on doing this, da 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 But go mess with my barbecue pit, you know, maybe mow the lawn. I've been waiting like four weeks to do that. Need a, hey, well, what are you doing? Well, you know, I was thinking about going to eat who everybody goes to eat after church, right? You know, so it's this weird, awkward trans, talking back and forth. Well, you know, well, I'm just, you know, all by myself. You know, I ain't got nothing to do. Wife's out of town and, you know, looking for, you know, for somebody to go out to eat. But it's cool, man. You know, that's just what I'm going to do. And then it goes back and forth. And then, and then it's just like, all right, man. Well, hey, you have a good day, man. See you next Sunday. And I'm like, what are you doing? Just ask him to go out to eat with you. You know, instead of beating around the bush or, hey, will you mind coming over? Do you, do you mind, you know, like, hey, man, I want to spend some time with you, and, and I've made time. I'll even pay for your lunch. If you tell me that, I'm, I'm very, it's very clear on what you're telling me. I'm not confused, but we see this awkward, and I don't know if it's because we're so concerned about getting turned down or that people won't want to spend time with us or they have other plans, so we make it real awkward. They're like, hey, man, you know, and I have guys, hey, what are you doing after church? That's always the question I ask which they always think the pastor has plans, but, you know, the only thing I usually have on my docket is a nap. Sometime in the evening, sometime today. You know, that, that's the, you know, and am I going to eat? Absolutely. You know, it's just, you know, it's just, that's my life, right? You know, so, you know, I was like, what are you doing? Well, going to eat. What are you, you going to eat? Well, yeah, I'm going to eat. Okay, well, have fun eating. And we just leave. Like, I see it all. It's just, I laugh. You're laughing, but you, you experienced it. You're like, well, yeah, but I don't know what to say, and I, I don't want to turn me down, or like, you know, like, just, let's just be really clear. Say, hey, do you want to come over and hang out for a little while? My kids do it. And they, they're, sometimes they're persistent gets their way, right? They, they, they sabotage both parents on both sides and get what they want because they're real clear, right? You know, hey, let's go get lunch today. Plan a, and listen, guys, plan ahead to go out to lunch with people. That's one of the best things you can do because sometimes to, to remove that awkwardness, just send somebody a text early in the week Said, hey, Sunday after church, I got some, I, I'm not planning on meeting anybody. Would you love to go to lunch? gives plenty of time to plan it, and then right at the end, it keeps you out of that awkward conversation. So just know that, you know, when two people are kind of fishing for a response, you're just like, are you just wanting to hang out? What are you asking me? Say, all right, so what you're telling me is you want to go have lunch. Absolutely. Or, hey, you want to spend some time together. Or you need to talk. Whatever it is, let's just really just be real and raw and just kind of get to the point because it just remove that awkwardness that really removes us from receiving the blessing of hanging out with people. Has everybody been there at least once? Everybody's like, yeah, like every week. Get over that. Proverbs 18.24 in the New King James Version, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So being friendly, being courteous, being polite, well-mannered, being respectful goes a long way. I'm striving to instill these in my children. 
So, you know, we've been, we've been teaching our children how to say hi, you know, to smile, to greet people. You know, so the other day we were riding our bike and Grace was like, hey, you know, neighbors, they don't know who she is. She's just driving by, but we're teaching her to be courteous, which means look people in the eye, tell them hi, smile, wave. She was so mad because they didn't wave back and say hi back. Well, dad, they weren't being courteous. Well, baby, there's just going to be some people who weren't taught courteous actions when they were little. But, but it doesn't matter their response. It's based on my response. You know, my smile may change somebody's whole day. That's why I hate these mask things going on, man. Like, first off, I can't hear what they're saying. And I don't realize how much I look at your mouth when you talk. I'm like, say it again. <laughs> and <laughs> say it again. <laughs> I'm like, are you smiling? Or are you mad? I, I'm, I'm smiling. You know, like, it's just so hard. It's such a disconnect. For me, it's so awkward, you know, you know, but, you know, safe, safety and health is paramount right now. So I'm just like killing me. So, you know, but we just, you know, are we that disconnected from people? Because when we don't smile or we have just a blank stare, we might as well have a mask on just like everybody else. But God's giving you a face, so use it to smile. Right? Everybody's smiling. Nobody, everybody, nobody's smiling. I'm still frowning at you, man. You're making me awkward. Let's look at a few things that, you know, so uh, a few practical ways to engage and connect to people better. Because I believe that practical things are often really sometimes not looked at, but I believe these practical things will help you. So first thing we're going to look at is being approachable. Does everybody know what being approachable means? So one of the biggest things being approachable means smile more. You know, that'll change everything. If you look like you're mad all the time and angry, very few people will feel like approaching you. Just like, you know, kind of keeping your head down, slouching. Another big one is crossing your arms. Right here, you know, it's like, does Pastor know he mad? No, it's just like how I like my arms. We ain't smiling either? No. I'm real approachable at that moment, right? Crossing your legs, different things. You know, I remember, <laughs> I remember at work when I worked uh, for security, we just had a bad habit of like putting our hands like this, but our handgun was right here. That was not too approachable. They're like, well, they could be. I was like, yeah, I, w- I live with this belt on, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, they're like, yeah, when you're talking to people, don't have your hand rested on your handgun. It's just bad, bad practice, right? Like there was really no agenda or anything, but they're like, yeah, that does not look approachable. Right, so, so our demeanor, the way our presence looks, you know, having open body language, you know, Ridding yourself, I don't have my cell phone, it's over there, which is a good thing, but ridding yourself of distractions. And if you go to lunch with somebody, put your cell phone up. You know, don't have it say, hey, just a second, I got to take this text. Hey, I need to take this call. Because what that is showing, man, you are not that important. And what is, what is going on right now is more important. Now, there are emergencies, there are exceptions to the rule, but don't make it a habit to where we are often putting, putting a mask, putting something in between us that is making us less approachable. You know, I don't want to go to lunch with a cell phone. I could have done that by myself, right? You know, we want to interact. So, so put your cell phone down. Get rid of it. Get rid of any distractions. Make eye contact. Look at people when they're near you. Uh, laugh easily. You know, don't be so serious all the time. You know, like, I think sometimes like, well, I didn't think that joke was that funny. <laughs> well, find your sense of humor. Try to laugh. You know, like, try to find the humor in it. You know, lighten up a little bit. There's too much stress in life to, to be serious all the time. Later on in life, you're going to figure out your blood pressure is tied to it. So relax a little bit. Enjoy life. Smile. Remove those distractions. Be approachable. Don't cross your arms. Don't be disconnected. Don't walk with a head down. Look people in the eye. 
Well, y'all hate it if I was like this, preaching to y'all the whole time. All right, y'all turn to John 3.16. Y'all got it? I ain't even looking at you, so I can't tell if you do or don't. Right? So we got engagement. These are things, you know, looking at people, staring at people. Now, sometimes my favorite thing is doing it on purpose, but doing it just long enough where it's awkward. Christina's like, quit looking at me. <laughs> you know, but it engages people. It's, it's one of those things that really removes, you know, it allows you to be approachable. Okay? So second thing, friendly conversation. Don't always talk doom and gloom. There's so many bad things to talk about right now. Well, how about that stock market? I lost half my money. Well, God's still on the throne. Oh, well. You know, like, I mean, look at, look at things. I got breath in my lungs. You know, like, let's look at positive things. You know, master small talk. What do you mean by small talk, Noe? Man, it's a beautiful day. Isn't it cool how God created the sun to come up every single day? You breathe that in? No smog because we live in the country, not Houston. Man, isn't that a great thing? Talk about the weather. Talk about, you know, just the good things in life. Man, I'm so glad we get to come to church now instead of being at home by myself. Man, it's so good to see you. Small talk. How, man, how have things been going with you? How have things been going with the family? Hey, how's work been going? Right? You know, ask questions about themselves. Hey, what's been going on with you, man? You know, you know always just, you know, friendly conversation. Compliment others. Hey, man, that is a nice haircut. Man, that's a horrible shirt. No, don't do that, right? You know, positive things, right? You know, we don't want to say, well, we should have never wore that. Like, you know, like, let's make sure we look at these positive things. Don't be negative. Some of you are like, man, I thought that today. I'm sorry. Like, whatever. Like, squash the negative things and really respond in the positive things. Spew positivity. Now you're like, man, are you trying to do like a positive? Absolutely. I'm giving me some practical things in how to, how to enjoy church community better. Because all of these practical things matter, guys. Can't be so serious that we don't have fun. I'm glad you guys are laughing this morning. So use people's names when you talk to them. Learn people's names. When you learn their names, that shows you care. Now, remember, some of you are saying, oh, well, I just got a hard time with names. As soon as you talk to somebody, ask them their name before they leave, and then when they leave, write it down. And next time, hopefully, you stand a chance. But if you still don't know, ask them their name again. Because we want to be very intentional about calling people by their names rather than like, hey, you, uh, what's your name? And then I've heard the other one, hey, what's your, no, I know your first name, what's your last name? So you're trying to figure out their first name. Like, there's a whole bunch of tricks, right, to, learn, to figure out names, but, but calling people by their names shows you care and you've put in the time. Now, if I know the majority of your names, you guys can do it too. Because for a pastor, it's difficult to know everybody's. And then, then you get brained. You're like, uh, uh, what's their name? And, and there's people in the church that help me. I was like, okay, who was so-and-so and who was here? And, you know, trying to remember everyone. But when you memorize somebody's name, it shows you care. Okay? Um, you know, focus on positive talk, topics. Open up. Say, say, you know what, man? This week, man, it was really cool. But let me tell you something that really challenged me, you know, or like, hey, I was having problems with this. You know, I was talking to somebody this last week who was having mower issues. And we're just talking about stuff that, you know, just common, you know, common com- friendly conversation stuff. Man, well, let me help you. Or let me, what about this? Have you tried this? You know, um, so, so focusing on things like that. So this next one, increasing your social game. So, so dealing with social conversation, okay? So... This should be a positive, not a negative thing, just like I was saying. So uh, make an effort to talk to new people every day. Don't get stuck in the click. And you guys, I mean, I don't know. Is still, still a word y'all use? A click? You even know what that word means? Yes? Okay, it's still a word you use. 
It's like, goodness, there's a new word I don't know about, but to where you always get stuck in your same people group. But, but get out of your circle. Meet new people. Be intentional about that. Hey, I don't know your name. Hey, what's going on? You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Interaction, social game, right? You know, give more invitations. Hey, I'm having people over to my house for evening, you know, in the evening. Invite more people. Also, accept more invitations. When people invite you, say, well, it's going to mess up my Sunday nap. I ain't going to do that. You know, but go. Be a part of that. You know it'll bless you. You know it'll be worth it if you really go because that's really what God wants for you anyway, that unity, that connectedness. Okay? Spend more time with your friends. Make time for friends and enjoy the important things in life. Netflix is not the most important things in life. You're like, what? The new episode just came out. Man, it'll be there when you get back. All right? Practice being friendlier to people you don't like. Oh, I just avoid them at all costs. Like, that's a strategy, right? It's like, oh, I'm just going to avoid them. But being friendly to people maybe you don't like, or maybe you've had, you know, you kind of didn't hit it off real well at the beginning, or maybe you've walked through an offense with them, and, and, and they're in your church. What do you do about that? The pastor is always like, well, yeah, what are you going to do about that? Because I believe that God really wants re- reconciliation. He wants us to walk in in unity where we can laugh about past things to some degree. Now, there's some things in our life, guys, that will forever change the dynamic of that relationship, but that doesn't mean that we should not be able to fellowship together. It's a whole other sermon. Keep moving. You know, overcome your insecurities. Your insecurities will define a lot of what you do and don't do. You know, if you don't like people or you're, you know, you're an introvert or you're like, it'll be very, all of these things, you're like, I don't like any of them. But I believe that God is encouraging you to to engage in interaction with people. We need people in our lives that that will love on us, that will encourage us, that will keep low pressure on us, right? You know, instead of just somebody that attacks us. You know, and I think God has... Each, each of us people in this church that he's by specifically designed put there for our benefit. If you haven't found the right friend, maybe you just haven't tried to build enough of them. Okay, so surround yourself with friendly people. Show a genuine interest in other people. Um, so, you know, you know, people can tell the difference. Like, if you're really interested in what they're, what they're saying or what they're talking about, you'll be engaged. But if you're just kind of like looking, you know, somebody's talking to you, you start looking the other around and kind of, man, these birds are nice. And you're like, what were you saying? You just, you're so distracted. So, so really show a genuine interest in people. That will go a long way when people realize that. And, and another thing be careful with, don't always pull the conversation back to you. That can be so frustrating when you're just trying to like kind of share your heart and you know, somebody that's always like, hey, well, me, I... Uh, back to you again, huh? You know, and it's just a one-sided relationship. So be careful with that. I know we all tend to do that, especially if we're excited about something or we're telling a story about something, but let's make sure that we are allowing them to receive and give just as much as we are giving and receiving. Good stuff? It's practical things, okay? So a healthy church community is something that, that I'm not just talking about, guys, but it's something we are desiring to build here. Okay, so a, church, a, a healthy community, it'll take all of us working together and, and being active in our relationship building. So we can only be a church that is as strong as its relationships with each other. Okay, so if our relationships are not strong, it's going to be very hard to build a strong church. Like, if you can't trust me as your pastor, oh, we got some big issues. Say, so, man, well, I go to that church, but I don't trust that pastor. Man, that's, that's some rough stuff. I don't know how you, how you build or how you... How you serve under that, or what? I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm hoping that you are here because you trust in me, you believe in the church, you're where God has you, and there is relationship between you and I to some degree. You know, I strive to communicate and connect with most of you and 
preferably all of you in this church. It's just sometimes not always feasible, but that's my heart, right? So us working together and being active in building that relationship. So can we be a church that has a strong relationship with each other and builds bridges to the community to truly make a difference? You guys don't realize it right now, but, man, God has really given me a lot of opportunity to build some community amongst the other pastors in the city, but I believe that God is desiring to use our church to bridge the gap between other churches in Bay City. Now, you got to get a little bit out of your comfort zone, and it can't be all about harvest time for us to succeed in those things. We need to be more so than just the church. We need to be more about the kingdom. And I believe that's, got, that's something that God is going to do if we're willing and we pray and we believe for it and we submit to that. So I'm going to close with this passage, Romans 12, 9 through 21. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Now this passage is kind of long, but I really believe that it, it really just communicates the way the church and healthy church community should like. Romans 12, 9 through 21. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Verse 10 of, of chapter 12 in Romans. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in in hope, patience in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But be willing to associate with people of lower position. Do not be conceited. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Verse 18 is powerful. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, so you are the variable that controls this, um, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his on his head. Verse twenty one. Do not over not do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You guys stand up with me. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.